Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. I got a little different show for you today. Uh, today I'm being interviewed by my friend, Bess Blaine. You know her. She's a professional opera singer and the author of several novels, two of which, Swan Song and Steel Butterflies, I've talked to her about on this show. Well, today she is asking the questions of me. We're focused on my surgery to remove a tumor from my brain that happened February 1st, 2022. She asked me questions about the symptoms, the diagnosis, the surgery, and the recovery process. There's so much to share. I can't thank her enough for uh, asking the questions and uh, being interested. Thanks for listening. Wishing you the best. Take care. Enjoy the show. Basically, what they said is that you've got about probably two years. And if we wait that long, that tumor is going to be much, much bigger. And it has not only is it going to destroy the 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 nerve for the hearing on the right side, but it's also going to... It, Right behind that nerve is this facial nerve that controls the right side of your face. And they said if it destroys that, then it's going to be like a stroke on your side of your face. You'll lose all control of the right side of your face. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. That here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12, teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dot Steve Maletto. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and uh, um, I got a little different episode for you today. Today, I'm going to be interviewed. That's right. I've got uh, uh, my friend, Beth Splain. You remember her? She's the author of uh, Steel Butterflies and Swan Song, um, as well as a... uh, a uh, professional uh, opera singer and uh, does all kinds of cool things. And so we'll, um, today she's going to be talking to me about something you've heard me mention before, which is uh, um, back in uh, February of 2022, matter of fact, on February 1st, never forget that day, um, I had a uh, tumor removed from my brain. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So she's going um, to talk about, ask me questions, and uh, um, I'm going to share some of what uh, happened, how that came about, and uh, um, you know what's going on now. So, uh, Beth, glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for talking with me, and uh, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Steve, for having me. And I just want to say I appreciate that you said my friend Beth Splain, because when I was preparing for this chat today, I was thinking that there are some people that you meet especially online, you know, in person, you can get that feel, but online, when you connect with someone, I feel like it's very special. So I was thinking, it's funny you said that because in the, in the shower, I was thinking, you know, I would call him a friend and you just said that. So I really appreciate that. Um, My name is Beth Splain and I'm very proud to be here with Steve Mileto, um, who is an amazing man for many, many reasons, but Um, not the least of which he went through, he and his family and his friends went through something recently that uh, obviously will change his life forever. But how this came about is that Steve and I, I, for my first book, were supposed to be on, I think, for 40 minutes or 45 minutes. And an hour and a half later, after chatting, we were like, we got to go. And then I wrote another book and we chatted again and we chatted again. And 
it just became clear as I'm listening to his story. He told me the story about his treatment, and I asked him if he had ever podcasted about this. And I feel like this is something that, one, a lot of people don't know, or if you've mentioned it, they want to know more. So it is certainly a position of vulnerability to put yourself in the hot seat, being the interviewee instead of the interviewer. So I give you props for that. Thanks. But um, this is a conversation between us that we happen to share with your billions of followers. <laughs> so um, so first I want to start with, can you can you talk about, without getting into too much detail, what you had, what it's called medically, and then I want to back up into symptoms. Okay. So can you just talk a little bit about, about what it's called? Sure. In, in the beginning, uh, when they first were figuring things out, the, the doctors, uh, were, uh, um, primarily surgeons were talking about it, calling it an acoustic neuroma. And, uh, uh in the later, they started referring to it more as a vestibular schwannoma. And, uh, um, so these are the two very uh, scientific words and uh, and basically it's a uh, it's a tumor that uh, grows inside uh, um, you know against uh, in and around the brain and uh, in this case it was in the ear canal and uh, it, it uh, develops around the the uh, nerve that uh, feeds the the balance and the and, and the hearing it c- it controls all that um, for uh, in this case my right ear so in, in my reading that I did for this, so I think it's the vestibular nerve, right, that connects yes. the ear to the brain. And the cells that surround that are called Schwann cells, which is where they get the vestibular schwannoma. And the um, from what I read, uh, not being a researcher myself, caveat, caveat, um, my understanding is that there's a gene on chromosome 22 that is supposed to create proteins that make sure that the Schwann cells do not um, reproduce too quickly, because if they do, it can cause this. So it's hard to know, you know, whether this was handed down and I know it probably doesn't even matter to you, but it could matter to your kids, of course. So that's one. And then the acoustic neuroma, neuro being brain and acoustic meaning ear. So you had something inside your, ear canal that was growing and pressing on the nerve or potentially pressing on the nerve. Right. And my understanding is this is non-cancerous. Is that true? That's correct. Yeah. It's not, uh, not cancer. And so first let me say this when you, and then we're going to back up to symptoms. When you first heard this diagnosis was your immediate thought cancer. Oh yeah. (laughs) There's nothing mine. Yeah. There's nothing, uh, you know, I, (laughs) when, uh, First of all, you know, it's not like uh, with something else, like you get a burn or you get, you break something or something like that. You know, they're messing around. They're talking about messing around inside your head. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, uh, that's a, that's an interesting thought. So, so yes, yeah, that's the first thing I thought. And they were, the, the doctors were quick to, to say that's not, it's not cancerous. Right. Okay. All right. Let's back up. So um, you were diagnosed on February 1st, 2022, or was that your surgery? That was my surgery. Um, okay. I, I was diagnosed sometime, um, well, actually about May of uh, 2021. Okay. And uh, that's, right. it starts the whole series of things in, in action. Okay. So what were the symptoms that you were experiencing? So I don't 
see doctors a lot, and at least before all this. <laughs> well, that's shocking. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yes, and <laughs> and so you know, at a time I was in the army, and in the army, that's probably when I saw the most doctors, you know, because they they make you see them, and and you have all you know physicals and all kinds of things, and and uh, you know, and you pretty much equate doctors with shots and things like that, and um, but you know, so for the most part, uh, I hadn't. I don't really see doctors and uh, I think I come from a family that did the same thing. And, um, and so, you know, when I not feeling well and stuff like this and um, I'm, unless I'm really feeling bad, it's, I'm just going to take care of it uh, Mm -hmm. myself. And Mm -hmm. well, so I say that because um, I wasn't really paying attention to something that I was dealing with. Um, Basically what was happening was uh, I, uh, um, started getting these funny feelings of I'm, I'm pretty adventurous. I mean, if, if we go someplace walking or something like this, or we're in these, I like finding, you know, ruins and, um, you know, things that used to just have cool history to them and stuff like this. And, and I go walking around and you find these walls to walk on and, you know, you know, there's a little bit of mountain goat in me and, uh, um, and it's not, it, it, it's not that, uh, you know, I'm not climbing any giant rock walls or anything like this mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm not really thinking too much i'm gonna you know hop skip and a jump or you know walk across this narrow path or something like that and i'd been doing it a lot when we walk on stuff and then a couple times and i didn't tell my wife i was like uh, i had these funny feelings of uh you know almost like a dizziness as i started to walk on something i'd not felt that before and i just kind of pushed through it and uh but it this one time we were at this park and it it's what made me tell my wife that I'm having these problems. All right. Because I started to walk across this little area that went across, it connected you to another piece of uh, what used to be a, 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 um, a big uh, manufacturer where they, they made rope a long time ago and they funneled the water from this river into the, um, into this, uh, what was a plant that none of that exists anymore, except the parts where they would funnel the water. So I'm crossing this little rock wall across onto this other rock wall that's across water so that you're walking across water. And I started to walk across that. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm not thinking I'm going to walk across this. Cause I felt like I'm going to fall. I like almost wow. like a, you know, I was thinking like it's, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, um, vertigo or something like this yeah. that I'm, uh, getting dizzy. So I backed up and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. Cause as soon as I got out in the middle, it's like, Whoa. <laughs> and that, that kind of bothered me a little bit. And I just kind of put up with, it. I just thought I was, this was starting to get a little more common. All right. When I, what would, did your wife say about that? When you told her? Well, she's happy. I told her because <laughs> I, <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't uh, but I, I said, I don't know how to say this, but this is just kind of like, I can't do this right now. This is like, I, f- I feel, and I said, I've had this happen a little bit where I've just kind of ignored it. And she's just like, well, you know, just, you know, just kind of like glad I told her, but, uh, let's see what happens. Okay. And, yeah, and sure. it, it would stay for a little bit and go away. And, you know, I, I, I don't know all, all my life until the invention of the patch, if I went deep sea fishing or something like that, I get seasick and stuff like that. And, and so I started thinking it's a feeling like that. So I just thought, well, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just not feeling well, well then. and we all justify things to <laughs> yes. fit uh, the story that we want to believe, right? So, yes, <laughs> exactly. there we are. Exactly. <clears throat> Anywho, so okay, so then what was what made you, what drove you to finally see uh, a physician? So let's speed up just a little bit. A couple of months later, you know, because I'd have these kind of they they didn't always appear, right? And uh, so we had uh, 
um, gone to Florida and gone gone uh, swimming in a in a swimming pool and and um, I went in the ocean a couple of times and uh, went back to the swimming pool that type of thing and when we came back from that trip I had, I had noticed um, when I was down there the feeling like if you ever felt like uh, you have water in the ear and it won't mm. go away mm-hmm. well that's what I was feeling like and I was just like oh it's just a matter of time and well the matter of time didn't happen and I um, so I bought some over-the-counter stuff and was using that and it still was feeling like I had water in my ear and I'm like you know it's a, a ringing and a, and I just yeah. and just a kind of a strange sort of sensation that if you've ever had water in your ear that's exactly what it felt like and it's so irritating so you <laughs> lived with that for how long oh let's say about four months <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay I thought you were going to stay two weeks. Oh, okay, no, no, months. no. I was, Got it. I'm like, this is going to go away eventually. And then I just was yeah. kind of dealing with it. And so sometimes it was more annoying than others. And eventually I'm just like, I got to get this looked at because I was thinking that, you know, there's any number of things with the ear. Plus, I've always been somebody who listened to headphones. And, and I was thinking, you know, maybe I did something to my ear that yeah. um, from listening to music too loud or something like that. And, and uh, so I go to see my doctor and. Uh, my, my doctor, I go in and he says, uh, he says, uh, I think I know what this is, but I'm not, a, I, I really can't diagnose you for this because this is my, my thing. But he asked me a couple of questions. He said, you know, he asked me about the, the balance, if my ba- if I was having some problems. And as he started asking me these questions, I started paying attention to some of the things I did have. So for example, like if you, if I went to step out of the car, mm-hmm. there were a couple of times when I, I kind of like fall into the door and I'm like, well, that's hmm. weird. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I explained some of that stuff to him. He says, yeah, that's sounding a lot like what this is. And so he told me what he thought it was. And he said, but I'm not the one who can diagnose you. We need to send you to an ear person and, uh, um, an ear doctor. And, uh, and so he did. And, um, and it was just funny cause he told me, he said, I think this is an acoustic neuroma. And, and, uh, he, he said, but let's, let's let an expert on the area talk to you. So I go to see a, a um, specialist, near specialist, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was interesting because I got to see an auditory. Uh, um, not quite sure what uh, her title is, but uh, an auditory specialist, the ones okay. who they they hook you up, all, you know, the, the little things in your ear, and then yeah. they uh, put you in the booth, and then they sit on the outside, and then they tell you um, to push the little button when you hear the beeps, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, on the left ear, everything was great. On the right ear. Um, if you ever saw the movie Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> the Star yeah. Wars mo- movie, it sounded like one of the Empire's droids in my ear. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my it's goodness, like, what wow. the heck is that? And <laughs> and and so, did that surprise you, Steve? It did. When you, okay. Oh, it very much surprised me because I wasn't thinking. I mean, I I was starting to have. Remember, I I waited a little bit of time, but I'd had dinner with my family and stuff and I had dinner with friends and, and I had to make sure I was sitting so that people were on my left hand side because I was hearing better. And so I was just thinking that I damaged my earring. Right. Of thing. But you hadn't heard the droids before. No, no. I had not. Okay. I had not. That, that came from her putting that <laughs> focused on that ear. And, right. uh, I, I, the funny thing is, I'm not quite sure she knew what I was referencing when I said <laughs> Right. Well, that's a shame. That's a shame on her. But two quick things. One, good for your internist. Your primary care doc yeah. was not like knew what this was. That's pretty amazing. Um, 
and I forget what two was, but let's keep going. So okay. It'll come back to me. It happens all the time. Not a problem. So I, okay. I, I go see uh, this doctor, and uh, and I, I saw his audiologist. There we go. That's the name of her specialty. And uh, I, and so she has a report, and she shows me that, uh, you know, I'm basically I'm getting so little sound through this ear mm-hmm. um, that I'm hearing because my left ear is picking up the slack type of thing. And, uh, right. And they, uh, so I go to see him, you know, it's all in the same office. So I, I then walk in, go into his office and, and I'd had to have an MRI done. All right. Um, and, uh, so he's looking at the MRI and he says, uh, he says, well, he goes, I need to tell you something. He goes, I'm a specialist on the ear, which is the outer ear. He goes, uh, um, he said, so, um, I need to tell you that your ear is fine. He says, your eardrum, all of it is doing what it's supposed to do. The problem is, is that you have something internal that's going mm-hmm. wrong. And then he showed mm-hmm. me on the MRI where I had this little spot. And the, the little white spot, um, he said, that thing should not be there. And it's about the size of a marble. Mm, and wow. uh, okay. And that's how he described it, too. He said, it's about the size of a marble. See that right there? And I said, yes. He goes, that's not supposed to be there. And he said, that is uh, interfering. He said, that is something growing on your nerve that feeds your ear, uh, that lets the ear do its work. And he's like, so that's not my area. So we have to send you to somebody else. And Okay, so did you, <clears throat> were there any other symptoms except for the loss of, partial loss of hearing and ringing do you, and dizziness? Was there anything else that you remember? Just, just balance problems. I, just balance, okay. And so just, just a note, it's, it's like, uh, you know, when you're walking and uh, um, you're, you're trying to walk straight and for some reason, you know, you kind of... You just can't. No, you got to... It's like doing dizzy bat. <laughs> yes, yes, bat yes. And you go around 10 times and yes. you try to walk, you're like, there's the straight, but you just can't do it. No. And so it was, and it wasn't that apparent like dizzy bat. It, it right. was one of those things where you... <laughs> you kind of go to walk straight and you lean to the right. And it's like, well, okay. what the heck is that? And, right. and you know, I do a lot of walking and uh, um, I'm a big baseball fan. And so we were, we were going to the baseball park and stuff like this. And I tell my wife, I said, I really have kind of leaning to the right here. And so we'd kind of balance me with, I'd carry one of the bags on the other side and it kind of helped. Um, but I had to be very specific about walking straight. All right. And, uh, I, you know, wow concentrate on and this it. is this is before you went to the doctor uh, correct and i didn't really th- okay. but i didn't really think about it i just thought ah uh, this is just right something, something. who knows yeah. <laughs> so when that uh audiologist said your air was fine that's wonderful news but then to see this mri with the marble sized object that in his or her words shouldn't be there so that's when did they use the word you know, neurosurgeon at that point, or what were you feeling then? How did you feel? Do you remember? Oh, I remember very well because it was, uh, I'm once again, I'm not someone who, um, goes to doctor a lot. And, um, about two years before I fell out of a, fell off of a ladder (laughs) holding onto a tree and injured my leg. And I saw a bunch of doctors then. And, but I still, you know, you're talking to someone who that's something that's fixable, right? Right. (laughs) And, It's concrete. It's kind of you yeah. know, black and white. This is not black and white. Although, ironically, the MRI was probably black and white. But that was the only thing <laughs> yes. that's black and white in this Very, very right? true. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and he, he showed me what this was, a cross-section of, and that, you know, here's your brain, and here's this little dot. And it's like, I'm like, well, 
that's wild. And he told me, he said, uh, he goes, this is out of my specialty range. And he gave me some information and he said, uh, I can explain to you what this is and isn't. He said, this is not, this is where I first hear that this is not cancer. He said, but he, he said to me, he said, we also don't really know a whole lot about why these happen. Um, he said, if you had them in both ears, then it's genetic. And then he said, oh, okay. uh, he said, if it, uh, but in one ear, and he said, this, there's specialists on this and they've, um, we have a couple of specialists in the Atlanta area and he said, you need to choose, um, because I'm going to send you to one of them. And so, um, ended up choosing, uh, the ear first, you know, he, he, he told me that at some point in here, you're going to be seeing a neurologist, but at this point he's talking about a doctor who specializes on the inner ear. Okay. And, uh, in that ear canal and those, um, nerves and such. And, um, and so, uh, so we picked that doctor and I get to go see him. And so basically I see him and he says, um, we're going to do an MRI and we're going to watch it for a couple of months to see what happens. And so that's what happened. So he used that first MRI to, to look at it. And s- What's that? As a baseline. Yes. As a baseline. And that's exactly what they did. Cause they, mm-hmm. um, they measured that one as that little marble. And then when I, um, go and get uh, the next MRI, which happens sometime early fall. They, so how uh, many months in between the MRIs? Uh, so m- May to uh, September. Okay. Okay. And by the time you got your second MRI, it was the size of? It's the size of a mushroom. Wow. Yeah. And he said this is quite common of what, uh, and that's why I'm thinking that it was actually October when, when this happened. Okay. And so he says, uh, he shows it to me and he says, this is what this thing does. He said, uh, it's growing at a rapid pace and I don't know the sizes on the top of my head right now, but it it had gone from a little marble to the size of a nice size little mushroom. Solid mushroom. Yes. That's terrifying. It is. And he said, it's pushing against your brain. And he said, it's growing around this, this nerve. And, uh, he said, so, um, one of we're going to start talking about, uh, how we're going to deal with this. And so he said, when I am working on this type of, uh, situation and he said, there's a surgeon, a neurosurgeon that I team up with. And he said, so I'm going to want you to meet with him also. Okay. And he looked at my MRI as well. So yes, this is when you go from suddenly no, not really meeting with doctors to uh, now suddenly you're talking uh, um, people who talk about the brain and and a neurosurgeon who is the brain doctor. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and and not just the brain doctor, but the brain operator. Yes, right? like someone who <laughs> operates, and that's yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and so um, this so this all happened within like five months. Correct. It was a... Uh, From the time you started this journey to meeting with the neurosurgeon. Right. It's like five to six months altogether. And, okay. uh, and so by November, I'm having these meetings with... Uh, I have, I have a, I've had a couple of different meetings with them individually. And then what happens is that I have a meeting with them together with my wife. And um, we had decided... And what they told me was, they said, you need to understand and, um, that uh, this needs to come out. And it, or it needs to be um, deadened by radiation. And so we have two choices. We have choice of removing it or trying to use radiation on it. 
And uh, so this is, once again, you know, you're asking how I feel. Um, this is when you're starting to think, you know, this is not, you know, dr here, drink this and calm, you know, take yeah. two and in the morning, call me yeah. or something like this. And uh, this is a literal crossroads in yeah. your life. Yes, very much this, so. This decision. I mean, maybe you feel like there really wasn't a decision, radiation versus surgery or both. But, you know, surgery, then radiation or radiation, then surgery. But it's so did they give you a choice at that point? Oh, they did. Um, they said uh, we need to talk about this because they said your age at the time I was 58. Okay. And they said uh, your age is uh, um, where you're young enough. I love those words. They said, you're, I know, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they said <laughs> you're younger. You're young enough that you should uh, that we were really thinking surgery as opposed to radiation. They said, because radiation, um, sometimes what happens is that it, it deadens it, but the, but the, um, tumor comes back and then they have to deal with operating around dead, um, tissue and removing that tissue as well as removing the live tissue. And, um, and so I'm like, well, that's a nice choice. And they said, yeah. and then, you know, if you were, if you were older, um, and, and they're, they're very honest with me, and they're saying, you know, your time is a little more um, limited. Limited that mm -hmm. uh, we'd be talking that because we wouldn't be talking surgery at all. But they said you're young enough that uh, your your body can heal from the surgery, and uh, and then we see if it comes back or not. Um, but it'd be they were encouraged me to do that because of the possibility of it coming back and then having to deal with the dead tissues in there, um, mm -hmm. which caused complications. Well, when they talked about that, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, so uh, let's really think about this. So we had another meeting where both of them were in the room and my wife and I had talked and it's kind of like, um, this makes no sense because basically one of the things they told me was, you know, if you, um, well, first I had to decide which way I wanted to go. And I told him, I'd said, I'd like to have, have it operated on and removed. And uh, mm -hmm. so they, <laughs> it was funny because I, by the way, both of these doctors had great senses of humor. All right. I, Oh, that's good to hear. It is. And I, yeah. um, I'm somebody who, I guess I try to make light of problems. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, I was asking goofy questions like things like, cause they started talking to me about if they operate, what that's going to be like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so before I made this decision, I was joking with them to see if, you know, you know, see if I'm comfortable with them. I mean, cause, sure. and, uh, it was really cool cause they both had great senses of humor and, uh, um, whether they were, I annoyed them or not, <laughs> was not apparent because they either recognized what I was talking about or joked with me, but, uh, and I'll get to more of that in just a second. But, uh, they, uh, basically what they said is that, you've got about probably two years. And if we wait that long, that tumor is going to be much, much bigger. And it has, not only is it going to destroy the, the, the nerve for the hearing on the right side, but it's also going to, it, right behind that nerve is this facial nerve that controls the right side of your face. And they said, if it destroys that, then it's going to be like a stroke on your side of your face. You'll lose all control of the right side of your face. And that's what made me go, okay, I'm, I don't think we need to even leave this office to decide, but my wife and I had already decided that uh, I would have the surgery. And But it, you know, they said, 
glad to hear it because if we had, because uh, then they said, well, when do you want to do this? How soon? And I said, I just want to do it as soon as possible. So we're in late November now of 22 when I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to, and they liked that too, by the way, because then that made it possible for them to, uh, you know, schedule that within a time in which it probably shouldn't grow too too much faster than mm-hmm. what it already mm-hmm. was. Um, but, uh, so we talked about it and scheduled it for February of 2022. Okay. So <clears throat> a couple of, of things listening to you, first of all, any physicians who are listening, uh, I'm sure paid attention, I hope to what you said, you basically were saying my life is in these people's hands and I needed to make sure I was comfortable with them and med schools having, I have a master's in healthcare administration. I feel like I need to say that because, nice. and I worked in healthcare for 10 years before I say what I'm about to say, which is medical schools have gotten so much better about this and understanding not only the business side, but obviously the, the quote unquote bedside manner. But that is literally how you made your decision about these people is how they interacted with you on a personal level. So the um, acumen the surgical acumen, in my opinion, is assumed, right? right so right. everyone at this level should have X level of acumen. This is the next level of feeling comfortable with someone or not. You could have gone with someone who you didn't care for, but you wouldn't felt it, wouldn't have felt as good about it. So any physicians and or nurses who are listening, I just, I feel like I had to make that point because it, it is important. I agree with you. You and I are very similar that way. Um, Two other things. One, is it my understanding is that the surgery, if they, if it was too close to the nerve, they they could have nicked the nerve and caused the same paralysis. Did they talk about that, or did you feel like it was a non-issue? Yeah, they didn't talk about that. They uh, okay. Um, they basically said, yeah. Oh, I just uh, you're kind of going back to something I said before. I mean, this is we're talking inside my head <laughs> they're talking about the yeah. brain there's only one of those and you know it's like uh um and i'm i'm thinking all kinds of things because it's like uh, you know you you do hear about things where you know something gets off slightly or something happens yeah. and there's any number of those things and and that's what you know going back to something you just asked about i mean it's it was feeling comfortable with them talking with me about uh how this is going to work and so like i was saying things to them. So I, I have to say this because this is, this is the part where I think they did a great job of helping me understand because only a couple of times that I meet with them together um, mm-hmm. until the day of the surgery in which then I saw them together again. And, but uh, before that, so I'm meeting with them individually and um, it, it was interesting because they, they talked to me about how in order to do this type of surgery, they had to decide where they, they go in and there's only two areas there's uh, that they really do. One is like right above the ear, or right close in that area, and then the other one's right behind the ear. And that they would make a hole and they go in that way um, is one of the options because uh, um, of how the the, the skull is, you know, um, ha- how it looks, what it's how it's structured. Thank you. That would be a good way of saying it. And uh, and so they were talking about this, and I and I said, okay, I need to ask a question here. I said, are you like holding a drill and going in my, <laughs> my head? You wanted and, a visual. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. And, I, and uh. he said, well, kind of, we got to, you know, make a hole and then, uh, and they use the big terms, you know, go in there, identify it, liquefy it, and then 
pull it out. And I, cause I was thinking that, you know, you're going to make this big old hole. And I said to him, I said, I, I said, am I going to be like cousin Eddie? And, uh, he said, uh, he said, no, you're not going to be like cousin Eddie. Cause he, he, he knew what I was, I was saying, I, I said, am I going to have like this little metal door back here? And, you know, cousin Eddie had this metal plate on his head. And if, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that's from Christmas vacation. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, cousin Eddie, um, had supposedly had a plate in his steel plate in his head. And, uh, so I was wondering if I was gonna have like a steel plate where the, it was a little door that they could open and close so they could go back in there if they ever needed to. And he said, uh, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And he, he laughed and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be cousin Eddie. And it was just that he got my idea of what I was yeah. talking about. was also cool. Cause you're like, okay, it. he watches those movies. I like this guy. <laughs> yes. And, and, uh, so I, I happened to, say something well you know you don't drink a lot of coffee on those days do you because and, <laughs> and and no no he goes well yeah i do drink a lot of coffee but we're, we're good not on not not that close to surgery and stuff like that and you know and the surgery itself ended up taking 10 hours they they spent 10 hours wow. on me and uh i and they talked a little bit about that beforehand and that it, how long it could take and i'm like you know how do you do that and then and it's 10 hours because part of it is taking breaks to um, get themselves refocused and so forth and and i said so it's not a good time to sneeze either is it and he said no 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 <laughs> they're like we love this guy yeah so uh so it, it their reaction was is making me feel better because i um references so to that, that was the way you dealt with your discomfort too yes right exactly. is to use humor or sarcasm, that kind of thing. Um, yes. That has often been referred to as an intelligent person's response to fear. I don't know if that's true or not. I think <laughs> in your case it is. But, it, you know, it's a defense mechanism, which is completely understandable. Um, did COVID have any, because that COVID was still. Oh, yeah, we were happened, masked. Right. Yeah, right. Weird. So did that have any impact on anything in this process? The biggest impact it had was uh, um, when I went to the hospital had rules about uh, how you had to be checked for COVID before the um, surgery. And so when you went to report for surgery before you could go in there, you had to go to the other, um, this other door where there's a guy in a big suit <laughs> standing and you know, looking. Hazmat, yes. covered, goggles. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, questioned me to make sure that I was in the right area where I was supposed to be. And I said, yes, I have to report for, in that case, it was a Friday. I had to be there to be tested for COVID. And then on, on Tuesday was when I had the um, surgery. And so what they were doing was that once you have the test, then you had to stay isolated away from people and uh, until the surgery so that uh, it didn't give you false positives or, you know, that you didn't accidentally come in contact with it, I guess. So that was the biggest thing. And then I didn't, I didn't have it, and, but I got to have the swab stuck up my nose. Sure. <laughs> how long, how long did you have to stay in isolation? Just Friday to Tuesday. And it was, and it, I was fine with being around, the doctors told me, they said, you're fine being around your family. They said, uh, oh, just okay. don't go out to public and stuff like that. Right. And, okay. So it's not like you were in a room by yourself. Or no, something no. Like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. They told me you don't have to worry about that. They said, just just uh, hang around the house and do things around the house. Okay. And that's what we did. And okay. So, um, and the two people who were attending the surgery, well, there were probably 12 people attending the surgery between <laughs> anesthesiologists, nurses, et cetera, et cetera. But um, was the neurosurgeon and the inner ear person? Correct. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And, 
All right. And they wanted both of them there because because both uh, pieces of your body were involved. Well, they have. Yes. And they have they, they each have roles in this. And this is what uh, was fascinating to me, by the way, because the uh, the the interior guy, he would um, they agreed on where to go in the into the brain from. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so he took it from there in the beginning to get in. And then, uh, then the neurosurgeon took over once they were in to mess around inside. And, uh, wow. and I asked, by the way, this is one another one of the comments because he started talking about how I have the, the, this, the cell tissue. Those are my, my cells there. And, and, uh, so therefore, cause I was saying, I said, am I going to get like something to take home with me in a jar or something yeah, like this? Like a door prize. <laughs> I mean, come right. on. Geez. And they Jeez. said, Oh no, 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 no. And I said, well, you keep talking about my cells. I said, I, I said, now you're not cloning me, are you? And I said, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not Westworld. And your wife said, oh my God, no. Please. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I said, this is not Westworld or something like that. And I, and I, and I said, well, I just want to make sure because you keep, and it, it was fascinating because they, whatever material they took out as they went in, they kept it and then they made a paste out of it and then they put it all back together again. Um, and they said wow. that the way your, your skull um, is able to fix itself like that by putting this back together like that. And it takes a little bit of time, but that's why, uh, um, that's why they have these different roles. So they do these different parts. And, um, and like my neurosurgeon said, he goes, I, just remember I'm the brain guy <laughs> I'm, yeah. and the nerve guy. He's the, he's the ear guy. All right. So I have to take over in those parts. And after, by, by the way, the, the next time I saw both of them together was the day of the surgery. I had to report it. I had to be there by, um, Five fifteen in the morning, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, and that strangest feeling though to go into a place and uh, not feeling too bad, you know, a little wobbly or whatever, but come out a little whack, you know, jacked up. That's probably uh, yeah. the best way to describe so that. Let's so. talk. I want to back up a little bit because there are a couple of things I want to talk about. You're going through all this, but your family is going through all this at the same time. Your, your wife is concerned about losing her husband. And if she doesn't lose her husband, who you guys have been together a long time, I know, um, how is it going to be different after? Right. So, and your kids, um, what, what were those conversations like? And if you don't want to share them, that's fine. But how did you tell your kids what was going on? Well, I just had a conversation with him and uh, okay. tried not to be, you know, too melodramatic or anything like that. And my my kids are in their um, – my oldest is getting ready to turn 30 this year. And um, so we subtract two off of that. So he's about 28. And at the time, I and my youngest is 26 now, and so he was about 24. And, you know, basically uh, just told him what's getting ready to happen, and then we'll have to see what happens you know, the recovery process is going to take a couple months and, and I'll be home for a bunch of those weeks from work and stuff and, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, it's, they were all very supportive and helpful. And we just kind of went into this, like, you know, you're going into the grocery store or something like this. And except this time you're leaving dad. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) um, and, and so it sounds like, you know, true to your form, they followed suit that they were whatever happened in their minds privately is their private thoughts. So you just presented that, that this needs to be done. Right. And it's just part of the deal right. and we're all going to get through it. Is that. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it right there. And it's, uh, you know, the doctors were very good about ex- 
saying about, you know, this is what they do. They're specialists in this. This is what they do. And, and uh, they, they didn't, you know, except for saying, talking about uh, um, most, you know, he was going to do his best to try and conserve some of my hearing if there's any there. Um, but the, uh, um, but at the same point, he's like, you know, we're going to get this out of there and then we'll, um, and things should go and we'll get you back on the right, right path. And it was just, you know, it just, with their positiveness, that's what I went in with it. You know, the thinking is that uh, just again the the importance of having a solid team behind you because you're they're the lead, but really you're the lead. Right. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship in my <laughs> even though you're dependent on them. To me, it's a symbiotic relationship. Oh, what so about? Right. I don't know anything about your religion or faith, religion versus faith, religion and faith. What role, if any, did that play in this process? Well, I think it, uh, you know, I'm Christian and it's, uh, it's one of those, uh, things where, you know, kind of like it's time to, to say, uh, <laughs> um, to ask for some help and strength and, and, uh, you know, I had a nice little, um, prayer session, um, as I'm sitting in the hospital and it, you know, the, when the doctors can't, well, actually the couple nights before that actually after the diagnosis too um, mm -hmm. um but it's uh you know when i went the the day of the surgery when i was in there um i think more than anything when it becomes real and you're sitting in the room they call you back and um they have you put on a nice little gown <laughs> and, Ugh, ugliest uh, things ever yes <laughs> not flattering at all go ahead <laughs> and uh so i'm sitting in there freezing <laughs> yeah. and uh the, the curtain opens and they're both there and uh um just it, it's funny because one's tall, one's not. All right, so they make it a, a unique uh, group as Marlon they come in. Hardy. Yes, and so they walk in and they said uh, they chit chatted with me for a minute and said some funny things, and then they said, "Well, we're really here, so we can we can decide where we're going in." And he, and so they they actually use a marker on my side of my head. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, and what was funny was I'm like. You know, I felt like they were getting ready to play tic-tac-toe on me or something. I watched too many Looney Tunes cartoons and, you know, it's like, um, but, uh, and so that made it feel good. And then, you know, shortly after that, I'm wheeled out and uh, I go uh, meet the anesthesiologist and I literally have, until I wake up, um, I have no memories of, uh, except, you know, pretty much after I leave them, because at some point they put me on a cart where I'm rolled down the hallway and that's pretty much where my memories stop yeah but, uh, and often they give a sedative before they do the anesthesia so that there's less stress um so the marker on your head for people who have not had surgery is was born out of um uh making sure that <laughs> that physicians and hospitals operate on the correct leg or correct ear because there have been many lawsuits in that regard so uh, that makes sense that they were marking up your your which ear and where they were going to go in. And that's what they joked about, by the way. They were talking they? that okay. morning. They're like, "This is to make yeah. sure we 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 are operating on the correct side." I know. And the funny thing is, it's not a joke. Anyway, <laughs> um, so back to the the religious thing because you kind of brushed over that. You said there were some prayer sessions. Were those organized prayer sessions, or was it just between you and just your, between just between me just and between, God? Okay. Which is, which is fair. Um, that's wonderful. Before this, had you had those conversations with your, your entity? Not really. Not, okay. Not, Have you uh, since? Um, 
Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Prior to that, it was all about family members and, you know, all that sort mm -hmm. of stuff and things going on in the world and um, never really about me. And <laughs> that, that changed a little bit. Did you feel selfish when you were doing that? Maybe a little bit, but it just, it, I really didn't think about it. It just had to do with, uh, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to. Asking for help. Right. <laughs> and yeah. and getting through this, you know, type of yeah. thing. Because, uh, you know, it's one thing to be in there and joking and, and getting ready for whatever's going to happen and then being put to sleep. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, and it's a whole nother thing. Cause you have, I had no clue what's going to happen when I wake up. Mm -hmm. and well, and I <laughs> want to be clear when I just asked if you felt that was being selfish, I asked that specifically because you said you had never focused on yourself. Yeah. So I don't think anyone listening would ever think that that were a selfish thing to do. It's a comforting thing to do, but you know, I was asking from your perspective. So, um, that's, all completely understandable. So you went into the surgery on the day. Um, this seemed, this is on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the highest. How scared were you? Oh, I can tell you. <laughs> um, I was trying not to be. I took a book with me to read because my, you know, I, I'm left at the, <laughs> yeah, I go in, sit down, and then they leave because you don't know how long mm -hmm. I'm going to be there. And and so I took a book with me. Couldn't read. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, couldn't read yeah. whatsoever. I was just looking at all the people in the cert, in that waiting room because there were lots of them with family and and suitcases and all kinds of things. And mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just like uh, looking around, just trying to keep myself focused on all the issues that other people are having. And uh, um, and so it. But uh, yeah, I was. I would say uh, on if you got me, put me on a scale. I'm I'm up there in a. You know, if uh, one's the lowest going the other direction i'm somewhere around an eight <laughs> yeah i'm um, sitting yeah. there and it did the more interaction i had the less you know that kind of lessened a little bit because like there was a yeah. nurse who saw me and um told me about putting on the gown and all that sort of stuff and and then there was uh and then the doctors came in and joked about the marking on me and and uh but yeah there's so there's a I'm feeling it again action. right now. <laughs> yeah. Are you feeling it as we're talking about it? Oh, yeah. It's all coming back. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry about that. Oh, it's all right. That's why I asked Steve ahead of time um, if anything was off limits, and he said no, which uh. is why we're going down some of these roads. But I, I knew that, well, I figured that some of these feelings would return. But it sounds like taking action in any way, shape, or form, whether it was looking at other people and saying, well, they're probably worse off than I am or, you know, speaking to God or talking to the nurse or, you know, the marker and the tic-tac-toe. Taking action gives you some sense of control in a situation in which you have pretty much no control. <laughs> right. Very much <laughs> Which so. is very scary for someone who is used to being in control, not only of his faculties, but of the events, some of the events in his life. It's completely understandable. Um, did you do any... Or do you do any journaling or writing during this time? Yeah, none at this time. I uh, I do journaling with what I do for work. I write down thoughts about things that I've done and how I could do them better and stuff like that. But I didn't do any of that with this. And you know, it's uh, when when you got to the other side of this, um, it has an impact on my ability to uh, um, focus on on written words and stuff like this. And uh, okay. I mean, when you're ready to go that direction, I can, but it's, uh, um, it, it, yeah, I, I didn't do any of that. Okay. 
Um, so I did want to talk about, so you obviously went through the surgery and it was successful and they got it all out. Is that correct? Oh yeah. It's uh, and we've had, uh, I just had my, uh, this past May, I just had my one year, um, with the neurosurgeon. I had a six month with the inner ear doctor and the one year with him. Um, and so I had to have MRIs in there and, uh, they were very happy, you know, cause first of all, after the surgery, the neurosurgeon told me that he got all of it. He said, it's all gone. And he said, now we'll just have to see if it grows back or not. And it did not grow back. And, uh, so the one, one year anniversary, uh, where they both announced that now I'll just see them, like, you know, at basically over the next 10 years, you know, every eight, year, every year, right. Once okay. a year. Well, congratulations. That's Thank fantastic. You. <laughs> I'm sure you were elated. Yes, I was. I was <laughs> ebullient, all the big E words, excited. Yes. Um, ecstatic. Well, there are a lot of E words. Anyway, <laughs> that's great. So after the surgery, you wake up. It was your family there. Did you, what was the first thought? If you, I, it was probably fuzzy, but when you woke up, what was your, what was the experience like? When I woke up, um, there's an, an orderly in, in the room and I can hear, that's what helps wake me up. I hear somebody moving around. When I open my eyes, um, if you're looking at something like, and in this case, there was a clock across from my bed, but the clock, it looked like the clock was on the ceiling and that I was looking at the ceiling and I was like, what in the, and I, I kind of closed my eyes and I felt seasick. All right. I, if you've ever had that nauseated feeling, that's yeah. once I opened my eyes, that's when that feeling came. And it looked like I was, like the room was flipped. Because when I kind of looked mm-hmm. around, it wasn't just the clock that looked on the ceiling. It looked like I was looking at them, you know, the, the room being flipped. So I, at first I thought maybe I was strapped to something <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I was inverted or something like this. But that wasn't the oh, case. I, I, I closed my eyes and um, I opened them and it still was like that. And, and uh, I'm slowly really kind of waking up. And eventually what happens, and the orderly realizes I'm waking up, and he says, um, says hi to me and welcome back. And he says, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And and Did you say fix the room? It's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Um, it's He goes and gets somebody who then comes in and lets me know that that's normal. That, uh, okay. Um, that it'll, that it'll fix itself. And so, you know, kind of like in 30 minutes, the room stopped doing that. And, uh, Did they say why it happened in the first place? Uh, yeah, the, the, the doctors explained to me that they gave me a concussion basically. And so that's my brain trying to recover from it and dealing with it. You did not know this ahead of time. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, Do you wish you had known that ahead of time? I don't, I think what no. they yeah, I don't know, because <laughs> I don't know how you would tell somebody that, oh, by the way, when you open your eyes, the room's going to be upside down, and you might feel like right. you're out at sea or something like that, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, okay. you know, I, d- I can tell you that as I, I have some giant bandage on my head that I never saw, I never got to see what I looked like with it, I just, you could feel it was there, and the neurosurgeon explained to me, that's an, that's an ear guy thing, <laughs> he said they want you to have this big giant bandage on your head, and and, uh, um, so I had that, so it made me kind of lean towards one side. It was hard to lean back on that. And the, uh, but it was, I was in that, I was, they had moved me in because they didn't have space in the regular part of the hospital. So I was in I, ICU 
for these couple of days. So I'm in this giant room, that, you know, that's meant for emergencies, and and uh, and eventually they moved me to a room. But it's uh, it was a it was a weird thing because at first I had, I mean, if I I didn't feel like eating, please don't give me anything. It's like, and they mm-hmm. kept trying to get me to eat, and I I couldn't eat anything. I mean, some of it looked so so yummy. <laughs> Is like, it because you felt nauseous or part of it? Part of it just was like I don't. I, I didn't want anything. I'm just like, didn't want to eat. okay. Yeah, you know, I just looked at things and was like, uh, this is just weird. And mm-hmm. you know, it, when I um, get moved into the the room, um, it was that's probably where some of the strangest things in recovering kind of happen because you're kind of. I had a I had a roommate. There's somebody in there for some other things, and and uh, we had. Uh, and so we we couldn't have conversations. He was had some serious thing going on too, and but uh, it was it was quite strange because at first, um, you know, I I really didn't have like you know some massive pain in my head. <laughs> I don't know how to mm-hmm. describe that, and I, I wasn't on some painkillers or anything like that because I I was thinking that maybe you know. I've, it just felt weird. I just had brain surgery and I'm coming out and I, and I have this big bandage on my head and I'm, the room would spin once in a while. I'd have to close my eyes and, um, closing my eyes didn't help because when I'd open them, then the room would be flipped again. And I'm like, you know, "Ah." how long did this go on? I was in the hospital for five days and, uh, that's very serious to be in the hospital for five days. These days is a big deal. Yeah. And, and it, so the entire time this was happening, uh, just the first like two days, two days. Um, okay. It eventually, with, by the second day, it's it, I'd open my eyes and it it might be flipped, but it would take like seconds to correct itself. And when it corrected itself, was it literally like at the snap of a fingers it would correct itself, or did things move slowly? Nothing moved. You just close your eyes and then open them, and then it's like, oh, the clock's where it's supposed to be. You know, it's like, yay, wow. all right, That's so, success. Yeah. And I had, uh, you know, during this time, they had me on uh, these steroids, and they explained to me that they were for healing to help mm-hmm. stimulate, you know, to help the healing process. And um, and so, you know, in here, at at some point, I see my wife. Um, at, at some point, I'm going to see my kids later in the week. There were mm-hmm. some physical therapists who wanted me to stay through the weekend and actually for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, I can't make it that long. I got no, to gotta get yeah. out of here. Got to get out of here. And, uh, um, but there was a, I don't know what people's titles are, but the, not, it wasn't in the RN, um, although they were good. Um, but there was like a nurse practitioner or someone who, whose job it was, was to keep an eye on my vitals and watch the, the IV fluids and, and she mm-hmm. would talk with me and she helped me kind of start getting in the process of trying to stand up and things like this. And, okay. and, uh, even come in late at night and like I had a window, but I couldn't really, <laughs> the window was down at the end of my bed. And, but I could kind of, if I leaned up, I could look out that window cause I didn't sleep much. And, um, and when I did sleep, this is where I was going with that. Um, I had these weird nightmares, um, I had, uh, and this is going to make me sound crazy, but I had monsters in my dreams. And I had, it's not crazy at all, Steve. This I had, is, had monsters. Been through hell. Yeah, yeah I had, been, had monsters in my dreams since I was a kid. And I don't mean like Dracula or Frankenstein or something like this or some of the modern versions of monsters. I had these weird, just like 
strange glowy creatures in my brain that just would make me, you know, startle me awake. And the surgeon told me, he said, that's the steroids. He said, people talk about that a lot. And um, he said, just wait. He goes, when you get them off the steroids, then you'll have some new nightmares. <laughs> and great. Yeah. And Thanks. he was, he was right. They, um, the monsters went away. And as I no longer have the steroid, um, then I have these dreams that I have all this work that I'm supposed to be working on. <laughs> And I kept thinking that I had all this stuff do and, and that would wake me up. And cause what would happen is in these dreams, all these people that I've known all my life would suddenly pop up that I haven't seen in, you know, <laughs> in years, if not, you know, ever since whenever. And, uh, um, and I'm, and that's what would help me realize what am I doing? These are dreams. This is, yeah. it kind of woke, I kind of woke myself up from those. And, but it was a, that, cause that part went on for a while. That went on for about, uh, once the monsters were gone, with the steroids, these other weird nightmares happened during, even when we went home from the hospital. We, listen to me, when I went home. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was a collective effort, right? Um, did, the, did the physicians say why those nightmares were happening? Was it in response to the trauma? To, I mean, yeah, it's, that's, exa say? that's exactly it. It's, it's the okay. brain responding to the trauma that okay. it's gone through. And, uh, and so it's, it's just a matter of time. And they, you know, every, anytime I talk to them, they'd say, these are all things that people have told us before. It's, it's very normal. And then eventually it goes away. And it, it did. I had, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that happened to me out of this is, uh, um, I get these headaches and I, they were really severe then. Um, and they had certain things that they were giving me to help keep those under control, like some super strength this or super strength that I found mm -hmm. out that you really couldn't mix these things because if you did, um, it would increase the nausea. Ugh. Um, yeah. So you, you went from one pain to another type yeah. of pain yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and it's still interesting because I, since I recovered and all this stuff and they started me on this, then I, I could either take a, a medicine that had caffeine added in it, um, which they recommended, or they also recommended just doing it old school, which is drinking something with a lot of caffeine in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like to widen the pathways, because that's what caffeine does, right? So headaches are the blood vessels are narrowed, right? So that helps to open them and relieve the pressure on them. Cool. That's what I didn't know, but I, I do. Yeah. Uh, and the last time I saw my surgeon, he was still good because I'm like I I I keep with me. I'm kind of addicted to. Uh, um, I, Coke sure. Zero seems to this. Yeah. I'm not sponsored by Coke Zero, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're interested, yes, yeah, if they're interested, I'd be happy to. Um, but they I too wouldn't mind a sponsor. But that's another <laughs> that's another topic. Go ahead. Nice, but um, I, I drink uh, Coke Zero, and it helps when I start getting the headaches. It helps. Uh, it it goes away pretty fast. Whereas tea takes a little while, um, mm -hmm. but uh, the it seems to have enough in it that it, it zaps me as opposed to diet Coke. You know, it's, it doesn't yeah. do that. It takes a it's, while for so, that too. It's the, so is it the caffeine or is it something else in it? It's a caffeine. He told it's me it's caffeine. caffeine. Yeah. So this also is typical of people who've been through what you've been through. Yes. Yes. Does they, it go away? Does, did they say it take, it'll go? Yeah. It said eventually it will. It takes a couple of years, a year to two. So, okay. We, how has your sense of time, we're going to talk about physical stuff, but how has your sense of time and the value of time changed, if it has, since this happened? I think the biggest thing is that uh, um, 
first of all, I just it's it's kind of shocking that I had all this happen. All right. So mm. because once again, I can't say enough about how they were working on my brain. You know, mm. when I when I met with the the doctors the last time and especially the neurosurgeon the last time, you know, I I said to him, I, you know, I said to both of them, I thanked them because I said, I can't imagine the, the skills that you have to have in order to do this. And then I said, plus, you know, to have me now, I mean, I have colleagues who can't believe, you know, that I'm walking, talking and joking and, and yeah. doing my thing. And because there was a time where I couldn't, I had to have help figuring out how to walk. And, uh, you know, I couldn't walk to the end of my driveway, um, you know, with, without a walker or uh, without assistance. And then, you know, slowly graduated to that. So it really makes you appreciate <laughs> um something like this reprieve you've been given or whatever you want to call it. And it's, uh, so if, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but, uh, it makes it valuable. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I think it's a wonderful answer. And the word reprieve is a really interesting choice from you. Um, so we kind of brushed over the recovery. You were in the hospital, but when you got home, can you talk about the physical, mental, emotional, did you have, a counselor at any point along the way, you know, a psychologist to talk to or a spiritual leader or just all of the aspects around recovery. Can you address, address those? So I'm kind of a person who's like, I can do this. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like the old song with a little help from my friends type thing, but you know, it's, mm -hmm. But at the same time, so as far as I didn't have a counselor, I, I could have if I wanted to. I, mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody really talking to me spiritually. I, I pretty much was like, I can do this. And my wife was tremendous help in helping me uh, trying to do different things because I, I, you know, talk about showering. I mean, I had to, I had to sit, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's like and yeah. that in itself was irritating. So all this stuff is like, I'm, I mean, some of the biggest problems I had was that you know, the, I had to worry about feeling nauseated. I couldn't look at a computer, by the way. Computer was off limits. The do doctors told me that right from the bat. They said, you do not need to be looking at a computer. You do not need to be trying to do work because your brain's going to say, no, no, you don't, you, no, you're, you're cheating, you know, and it's going to make you dizzy. And, and it did if you tried. And so I, and so I also couldn't read. I couldn't look at written words. Um, you know, I, I'm someone who likes, you know, DVDs of, movies and TV shows and things like this, I could only take it for so long. All right. I, mm -hmm. I could, I could watch a little bit of it, but then I'd have to put that away too. And so I ended up <laughs> in, in the beginning, by the way, I just didn't want to do much of anything. And, um, they had to help me. You know, the great thing about being home is that you have all this furniture where you know where it is and you kind of place it. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to walk, cause I was trying to do it without a walker. Cause it's like, I, this is annoying. I can't, I, I don't need that. And, so I kind of, in the beginning, I kind of bounced off of furniture and, uh, you know, and the walls and things like that to go from one place to another, but I didn't really move a lot. And, and so I'd had to have help to do that. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it was just a, it, if you've ever been seasick, that's what it felt like a really bad case of it where you're like, you don't want to move around, you don't want to do anything. And so I, you know, what's funny is I started realizing, well, um, so my wife helped me with this. I love LPs. And so I have my my turntable and uh, I would listen to LPs and uh, get caught up on my, <laughs> on some of these, some of my record collection and stuff like that. And, 
and uh, that worked pretty good. And then, you know, I kind of nod off in there or something like that. Um, Did, were you sleeping a lot at the time? Yes, very much so. So, so all of your symptoms are, like they said, the physician said earlier, are concussion symptoms, right? Yes. You can't look at a screen. You can't watch TV for very long periods of time. You're having trouble. It is, you know, it also occurred to me when you were talking, you said I had to sit in the shower and that was so irritating. And it made me think, you know, what we, one, take for granted, right? <laughs> yes. And two, what it means to be human, you know, and know. humanity is so important, but being able to stand on your own as a human is also important. And that's, you know, you were the recipient of so much humanity from other people, but perhaps you felt like, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but this is what occurred to me that you were losing your humanity because you were sitting in the shower and you couldn't, the things that made you, you, what it is that makes us, us was temporarily unavailable to you and you were very motivated to get it back. Is that true? That's a, that's a good way of saying it. Cause it was, uh, you know, I, I had that big bandage off my head by, before I came out of the hospital and that was a fun day because all these interns came to watch it be removed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. you were special. Oh yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, so they're not even there really for me. They're there. So they get a chance right. to learn, learn from the, yeah. from the surgeon. And, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, I would I would say you're right on the money with that because it's like you know one of the things I it's it's hard when you're sitting at home and you're trying to just I mean I had to have help walking I mean eventually we we go outside and I have to have help to go down the stairs to get outside and then I'm trying to walk from my driveway to my mailbox hmm. something that I never thought you know would take a lot of thinking about and it did it took thinking about to stay focused to stay upright just you know because in the beginning I used a walker and then eventually I'm like I gotta get away from this and so you know kind of getting back to what you asked me before I wasn't thinking about you know um needing somebody to help me get through certain feelings instead I was like I, I just want to make this happen because I'm tired of not being able to I mean to not be able to walk from the end of my driveway back you know to go from one end of the driveway to the other without stumbling or worrying about falling was very irritating. Eventually I graduated from that though and started walking uh, with my wife on a, on a park track that they had. That was interesting in the beginning because I could only go like a quarter part of the, <laughs> and then I, they had benches. And so I'd sit and wait for her to catch up, to <laughs> go around and come back. And then we'd try a little further and, but, and then eventually graduated to being able to go around that and, it why, just, why did you have to sit? Were you tired or were you dizzy or both? Get dizzy. Okay. It had more to be dizzy, especially because I had to focus on staying, walking straight. And right. it was like. A lot of energy. It, yeah, a lot know, of energy. And it was just kind of a strange feeling. And it's, uh, um, I remember we were at this, at that park and because the track wasn't huge. It wasn't a big, it's not a you know big like high school or college track or something like that. And uh, so it's easier to think about how far you're trying to get and how far you can keep going. Um, well, they're also, they also have like a Frisbee golf um, course that goes in and around that area. And so like, <laughs> I was trying to focus on walking and the, these guys are throwing these no. Frisbee golf discs not too far from me. And it's like, I think I'm going to wait until they kill, <laughs> until they throw them <laughs> and, uh, in case I wander into the middle of where they're throwing them or whatever. But it was a, it's kind of a unique feeling when you're kind of thinking, 
you know, normally would I ever even think that I would accidentally stumble into the path of a Frisbee disc? No, I'd, right. maybe they might accidentally hit me with it if they were, right. <laughs> weren't good at throwing it. But mm-hmm. anyway, just hum- humility is a really leveling. It really, it really is. And so I really love once we started getting to that level, then at some point in there, I started having a physical therapist who works with me. Um, and that's has its own humiliations because they put a belt on you to make sure you don't fall and they hold, hold you from behind. But, uh, but that had a lot to do with being able to, they were working on, you know, one of the th- things that was a problem was being able to, my peripheral vision um, was gone. And so they work with you on, on turning your head and uh, starting to work on getting your peripheral vision back. And that was, that was interesting in itself because that was, <laughs> you had these different exercises and things like that to help you with that. So Were you retraining your eyes? Yes. Or were you retraining your eyes to talk to your brain or both? Probably both um, because the, it was the right side. You know, the left side was fine. I could, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. I could see all kinds of things over there, but turn to the right. Nope. <laughs> I have Nothing. to do like that. And uh, um, that was there's just a lot of unique things about this. I mean, especially considering um, it became apparent eventually that I'm okay. I'm done with this physical therapy, even though they wanted me to stay. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing good here and we can move on. And, um, but uh, it's, you know, in the beginning, how long it, did it take? How long did it take to get your peripheral vision back in your right eye? Well, it, it started working pretty well, you know, within a, in a week, two weeks, probably about two okay. weeks. Okay. But at the same time, it, it took several months for it to be something that, uh, you know, there, there were times when during this, that when I looked, when I tried to use my peripheral vision, I'd make myself start feeling nauseated or mm-hmm. give myself the headaches. Right. And, uh, so just, it, it's just taking time. I don't have that problem now, but, uh, and know, how I, long were you in physical therapy? Just a couple of weeks, probably. Couple well, weeks. Okay. about four, okay. four weeks altogether where I was going That's twice a week. not a lot. That's not a lot. That's no. great. Yeah, I was doing about twice you a week. You know, I was thinking when you were talking, I was thinking feelings are a luxury. You know, when you're in crisis mode and because you're a doer, you were goal-oriented, you're like, I'm going to get to the mailbox and I'm going to do this. And feelings are often left behind because they're a luxury that you can entertain later. Yeah. And it's almost like sometimes we have to push them to the side in order to stay focused. And then later you can say, oh, that is how I felt or that, you know, yeah. um, so I appreciate, again, this is a vulnerable position you've put yourself in again, because you were ultimately in the most vulnerable position and you're, you're doing it again. So I really appreciate that you did that. And so now what are the repercussions? You have lost all hearing in your right ear. Is that correct? Yes, it's all gone. <laughs> and, okay. uh, it's, uh. And that's something that they did. Uh, they did a few tests on me to to see if I had anything left, or the, if there's anything that they could save, like a um, cochlear implant or anything like that. Now I could do go that direction. Um, okay. Right now I'm not. Uh, it, the doctors aren't talking to me about it much, and you know, hearing aids can't fix this. This is not something okay. a hearing aid. You'd, you'd have to have a cochlear implant in order to transfer the sound from one side to the other. But. Mm-hmm. My, the, the surgeon explained to me, he said, the left ear will do a really good job of fixing itself so that it's overcoming the missing sound from the other side as well as the balance. And so only when I'm really tired do I <laughs> struggle sometimes. Um, I, I still have the you know the issue where I wander, all right? I'll, I'll, 
<laughs> okay. And I don't mean for long distances, but I'll literally, right. if I'm not thinking about it, all of a sudden I'm leaning to the right and whoop, focus again, get myself back on track. And then sometimes I can walk, you know, a good chunk of the way down a hallway and not even have to think about it. But I, there are things that I have to, I find myself thinking about. Like when I go to get out of my car, I stop, <laughs> I open the door, I stop, I turn, put my feet down and then stand up. If I do that fast, I can cause myself to be seasick and stumble. And uh, seasick is not the right word, you know, just feeling a little nauseated. Yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, um, so there's there's things like that. I, I'm working on trying to figure out how to sleep. I haven't been sleeping very well. <laughs> so. And do you think it's related to this? I think so. I think it has a lot to do with it. I think part of it has to do with, uh, you know, just not wanting to call it quits for the day. It's, you know, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm nuts, but it's like, uh, you know, You're not nuts. close your eyes. Are you going to, are they going to be the, you know, what's going to be there when you open them again? So meaning you're thinking that, that the upside downs might come back. Is that what you're thinking? Or you may go. Just, you... just more of that seasick world, nausea, stuff okay. like that. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> and it's probably something that I could easily, I, I've been trying to force myself lately to, to find you know, the bed earlier, but it's like, uh, one of those things that it's like, it's just easier to, f you know, f make myself fall asleep by, you know, been reading, looking at, um, the story or whatever, and then mm -hmm. find out three hours later that you've been asleep for three hours and didn't realize it, you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, been so, there, done that. Like, how did this happen? Where did I go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah. Like, That's interesting though. Are there any other um, physical, um, not impairments, but vestiges of the surgery or the process, anything I, left over? I think the biggest it? problems I have are, um, I get these headaches. Mm -hmm. I keep them un, under control with caffeine. Um, if I'm out doing yard work, um, I have to, uh, if I do too much bending over, like you're weeding or something like this, mm -hmm. um, I can, uh, give myself uh, these headaches where all of a sudden I feel my head feels wobbly and uh, it's just the bending over too much. I feel yeah, my head is sense. wobbly and I feel like uh, something is uh, what, what in, I don't even know how to describe this. It's just, if I bend over too much like that, what ends up happening is I start getting this feeling in my head. Like my head is like, there's this hollowness to it and it's painful. Um, and okay. A lot of times what'll come with that is it'll force, I'll start sneezing. And once I start sneezing or coughing, I really give myself these headaches and this pain and it just drives me nuts. And I've, the surgeons have told me that's very, it's all normal. And the sneezing is, is part of this too. Yeah. It's just, it's something my wow. body's doing to react to it. And it's, that is fascinating. And I'm sorry that's happening to you, but it's fascinating. <laughs> it's but, it sounds awful. Well, it's quite, um, it is. But, and it's quite annoying, especially because yeah. it happens like at some of the stupidest times where, you know, you, things are working really well. You're doing things, you know, doing it all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden you realize, okay, I need to chill out. And I'll, out, if I'm outside, I'll, there's this bench I have and I'll sit down on it and take a break for a few minutes. And but it's, uh, and then eventually it goes away. But uh, I hate coughing or sneezing because it creates this this hollow pain yeah. in like my head. Like reverberation inside your head. Yeah, something like that. Painful. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the strangest thing. It's like, uh, and once again, the surgeons were not, because I've been, I've told them, I said, you know, they're worried about other things. And I tell them this stuff and they're like, ah, it's normal. So, uh, 
but it, and and they remind me. They say you have to remember we were inside your head, and uh, yeah, um, and we we access things. It, yeah, that's something. Um, if you ever had that feeling of uh, as Novocaine is wearing off, if you've had yes. uh, um, dental stuff done, my yes. face on the side where uh, I had the surgery. Um, He's numb. Yeah, almost for um, a good chunk of it for about six months. And then mm -hmm. slowly it started uh, getting better where I was getting more feeling in it and stuff like this. But the whole time it felt like it was like you have Novocaine when Novocaine's wearing off and you're feeling, you know, you start stretching yeah. your mouth and stuff like this. And, yeah. and uh, I have that here actually still have it. So I could base cause I had surgery there. I, gotcha. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I wish I didn't, but I did. It's an interesting feeling. Um, it's a... Do you find that you are more patient with yourself? I would imagine you were very impatient with yourself. Prior to this, you were very, you know, Steve, very get it done, move on. Here's the goal. Do you find that you are more patient with yourself? For example, getting out of the car, you know what you need to do. Do you give yourself time to do that? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I get very frustrated because <laughs> it's like I just know what I want to do. And then, so, you know, it was, it, an example is those sneezes, all right, mm -hmm. um, because I, I can literally be trying to do something, and then the next thing I know is – that starts happening and then it stops me from being able to do things because it hurts. And, um, it's like, uh, that's very frustrating because it's like, I'm just trying to do this. Why that, you know, that type of thing. So, mm -hmm. but that's, that's probably the, those types of things. Now don't judge me about what I'm about to say, but I, I was trying to push myself so much, um, that I'm like, I, all right, I got to do something simple so that during a storm, um, this is when I've, was feeling a lot better about walking and all this sort of stuff. I decided to, um, I went outside and helped my son with a, a tree that had been kind of not toppled, but it was coming down a little bit. So I helped him mm -hmm. pull it down and, and then we actually pulled it down far enough and, uh, used a chainsaw on it to cut off some of the, make it big chunks and put it all the way on the ground. And it's not this giant tree. It's just, it was something about, you know, probably about 14 foot tall, but not a real big tree. And, mm -hmm. um, well, I decided to mess with it to kind of cut some of those branches off with the chainsaw. And um, my son wasn't there. He had to go. He had to go. And uh, so when he left me, I was inside the house. <laughs> well, I went back out there and I discovered something about my balance, which was I was I was trying to push through a couple of branches and kind of move where I was standing. And I tripped. And it's awesome that chainsaws come with this thing that when you let go of the handle, it turns off. Because <laughs> oh I fell. What happened is I fell and that was a hill and I rolled down the hill and I couldn't get back up again. I was like, there's literally like a, I felt like a turtle um, on, <laughs> on its back. You know, it's like, and it, it took a minute or two. I got my orientation came back and I ended up putting back the chainsaw and leaving it for a few weeks. It's like, okay, I, I don't think I've graduated to that level yet. That was probably smart. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> that's terrifying. I can't believe you did that. I can believe you did that, but that's terrifying. <laughs> it wow. is terrifying. I, I had a oh. similar thing with a, a non-destructive device happen. Um, I have a, one of those backpack blowers. So like yeah. a couple weeks after this, I'm like, well, let's go to the blower to get the leaves <laughs> going. And I did something. I, I have one of the problems I have is that I can take, I can stumble easily. All right. So mm -hmm. I take, steps and I'm not thinking about it. If I, 
that's where a stumble might happen. And so I, I have to explain to my colleagues, stuff like this, I've not been drinking. I, you know, you see yeah. me do this stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's cause it's kind of in, embarrassing. Well, I had a backpack blower on and I was blowing the leaves and I kind of turned too fast the other direction and I fell on my back. And it's <laughs> like, the nice thing is nobody was around me with a camera. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I thought I have two more. I have two more questions. Cool. One is when my mother, before she passed from Parkinson's, she was in advanced stages. And I said to her, what's the best thing that you've learned since having Parkinson's? And she said, she thought about it for a minute, and she said that people are very, very kind. That's what she said. So I asked the same question to you. What's the best thing you have learned since you've gone through all of this? I can tell you that, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of people are kind. There's a lot of concern about uh, how you're doing and recovery and, you know, is there something I can do to help you and, and especially family members. And um, I, I can tell you that uh, probably one of the most interesting things I've learned is that it's amazing that you can recover from things. Um, Cause mm. in my case, it was, you know, just a matter of time. Um, and it, uh, you know, it's what I, when I talked to the surgeon the last time I said, you know, I can't thank you enough. Cause I have, I was having colleagues tell me they didn't think they'd see me up walking around as soon as I was and nevertheless driving a car and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and it, I, I think I'm, that just amazes me because it's like, uh, I mean, they went inside. And by the way, they described a lot more detail after I got out of the hospital and visited them, what they actually did to me. And um, I'm glad they waited till afterwards. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, I, that you're right. I mean, the body healing itself. I, I remember a physician I worked with. Um, actually, it was at a medical software startup. And he said, the hardest thing about being a physician is knowing when to do nothing. Hmm. You know, there's only, and this is in Devil's Grace, one of my books. She says this because nice. it stood out to me. You know, the physicians are taught to heal, to fix, to patch, to, you know. But at what point do they step back and let the body and the mind and the soul of the person aid in the healing, right? The body heals, but the attitude has so much to do with it too. And you went in with a can-do attitude, knowing or feeling that you were going to come out on the other side and it was just a, a rock, a mountain in your path that you had to get over. And I commend you for that because there are a lot of people who don't think that way and that does, can, have an impact on the outcome. So I think that, you know, you had this yucky, horrible thing, but you and your family just were like, okay, well, it is what it is. I mean, it's like saying, why is this happening to me? A lot of people say that. You didn't, but a lot of people say that. But they don't say, why did I win $100,000 in the lottery? They don't ask those questions. They right. only ask right. when it's something negative. So yeah. I commend you really, truly, that you Thanks. hit this head on with everything you had and your wife and your family. And it's just, that's why I wanted people to know about it because it's flipping amazing. You know, you're amazing. Um, Thank you. 
at the end of your emails, at the bottom of your LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter, and Instagram, and all that, you have this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. You probably could say it, but do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. So how common is this thing you had? The, uh, it's, they, they call, they say it's not common. They say that, mm-hmm. but it is, it, it's, it, it does happen. And it does, you know, they bring them all kind of to this part of the world to, to these two people are some of the specialists on it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, but it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it, you know, it's not like every day you're running into people who are, are going in and out of the hospital for it. I don't Right. Um, so you took it literally go instead where there is no path <laughs> nice. and leave a trail. <laughs> nice. So this, this recording is part of your trail. Thanks. In my opinion, that you're, you're leaving this goodness behind that's going to, it will help other people, but what else moving forward in your life? Where else do you want to blaze a path and, and leave a trail? Is there, what else do you want to do that you haven't done yet that you want to blaze a path or is there something that you've already done, but you want to do again or you keep doing? Yeah, that's cool that you asked that. Cause I'm at that path in my life where I'm trying to figure that out. And I think all this experience has encouraged me to do that. I'm, you know, this is my 37th year in public education in the state of Georgia. And, wow. and, uh, I'm, you know, trying to figure out if, uh, you know, when, when that chapter needs to close and something new needs to happen. So that, that, that saying is a big part of my, my world. All, you know, once I found it, I realized this, Hey, where's this thing been all my life? The, uh, and, uh, because that's something that I've always tried to do is figure out how to not have barriers, um, stop me from being able to, uh, accomplish whatever it is I'm trying to. And I try and encourage others to do the same. And, and it's like, uh, um, and then suddenly I ran into this big barrier that's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. And, I uh, came out on the other side. So it's like, I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, is there, there's gotta be another thing that's, you know, I, whatever that other thing is, I'm still trying to figure out, I guess is my answer. Okay. Well, that's great. But, you know, maybe you wouldn't have even gotten to this point if you hadn't climbed that mountain that you climbed, which is, it's just part of your journey and part of your story. There's a quote that I love by Barbara Neely, who wrote the Blanche White series of books. It's a little long, but I'm going to read it to you. If we're lucky, we grow into ourselves. We become more nuanced, more able to see the shades of gray, the thing beneath the thing. And we have less room for self-defeat less patience for the useless and unnecessary. So we begin unloading our bags of woe bit by bit. It's as if the unconscious mind knows that the clock is ticking and we don't have a moment to waste on being anyone other than the person we genuinely are. And I feel like the first time I met you, you're a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. And we only know each other through this venue. Right. But you are who you genuinely are and you've already brought such joy and light to the world. And I can only think that as you continue to unpack your unload, your bags of woe bit by bit, you're going to walk forward into whatever your path is leading you. So thank you you again for allowing me the opportunity to chat with you today on your program. It was really, really special for me. 
Well, thank you so much, Beth. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, it's been great. Thank you so much for spending time to talk to me about this. My pleasure. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.